Uh, we are recording. Ooh. Oh. Welcome to Sunmoth. It's been a while since we recorded here, Dave. It has been a little while, isn't it? It used um, to be a home away from home. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, welcome Topher from Wildflower. Thank you. Thank you very much. Wildflower beer? We call it brewing and blending. Yeah, we can get into that. I mean, it kind of focuses on what we're about in terms of having the blending in there as well. But just kind of, I was just Wildflower. I don't know. I, they, all of these, everything, every brewery has to have like all of its words after it and whatnot. And so I just, I guess we had to have something after it. Couldn't just quite, I don't know. Anyway, that's what it was. A lot of breweries chop and change as well. Like they'll call themselves something brewery and then you go to their beer the, yeah. and it's something brewing. And it's like yeah. Well, yeah. So the, the online, all the socials are wildfire beer. But then that's not what we call the full That's just company. to save char- the characters. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you can fit more characters in your, in your tweets. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so what is it? What is, how would you describe it? What are we drinking right now? No, what is no, Wildfire? What's Wildfire? Oh, Wildfire. Um, it's, it's my little project. It's something that I wanted um, to look at. Basically, it's, it's, it's a brewery, blendery, fermentorium little place in, um, in Merrickville. Fermentorium's a great word. Yeah. Wicked Weed hat was all over that, so uh, didn't, didn't get it. And so was blendery, like Beachwood. Sorry, I digress. Um, yeah, it's a little project where I'm focusing on um, mixed culture fermentation of beer um, using native bugs. So... Um, we have a house culture that is that, that ferments everything that we make, um, and it's a blend of a um, Belgian saison strain, 100%. There's a clean Saccharomyces lab purchased um, strain in there, and then a whole host of totally wild bugs. So, um, Britannomyces, Lacto, PDO, everything that I've cultivated from around New South Wales. So I've done spontaneous brews collected off of flowers and things like that. And the ones that were good, we've kept. So I kept this little culture of things and blended it with the Saison strain. And that's what brews, that's what ferments all of the beer. So Wildfire is a project looking at what those beers are going to taste like. I really have no idea what wild yeast from New South Wales is going gonna, is gonna to look like. So I was like, well, just Where did you capture your most useful stuff? That's a good question. I mean, everything was useful. So there's, because even the ones that were bad, it was good to know why it was bad or, or why it didn't work. Um, everything was captured in New South Wales. I, I, I really liked the stuff off of the, the wattle blossom that I got, um, which is why the, the gold, the label of the gold has a, has a wattle blossom on it. Um, so like flowers really nice, but the spontaneous ones, um, I did some spontaneous blends like up at, uh, in Urala, like in the New England area one down in Jerangong and, and elsewhere, other places. And those are, those are really, really cool. They're very, very different from each other, very distinct. Um, but they take a lot longer to mature and you end up getting very different captures in there than you did like a summertime flower that was covered in bees. That's a different sort of yeast blend, but yeah. And we're drinking a table beer now? Yeah, so the, yeah, this is a table so beer. So this is not released. Is it going to be released? Or is it going to be your... It will be. Well, I mean... If I don't drink all of it, like so, what is it? So, table beer is, I guess, the easiest way would be a, a homage to a sort of traditional table strength grisette. Um, this beer is uh, different than the other two. We 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 make three beers. We focus on making three beers at Wildfire. Um, the two that have been released, the Golden Amber, um, and then this this is the third. This differs from the other two in that it doesn't go to oak. Um, it doesn't. Um, it, the wort doesn't, it, I don't give the wort chance for it to become really, really funky. 
So it's a really, really simple word. Um, and the wild Saccharomyces yeast, as well as that Belgian Saison strain, ripped through this fermentation in like two or three days. This batch was five days in primary and then it went straight to bottle for four weeks. And that, that's it. Um, it's just, I, in traveling and in, 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 in sort of figuring out what I wanted to do for this brewery and figuring out how to do that uh, in, in small ways, um, I, came, I spent some time at um, Brasserie Thierrier, who makes a beer with Jester King, one, well, the one called Petite Prince and one called um, Petite Princess. And it's a 2.9% table beer. And at both places, every time I've been, and every time I go back, or every time someone's going and says, oh, do you want me to bring anything back? It's always those beers that I keep going for. Um, it's the simplicity that I find so sort of interesting. So, um, yeah, this is, this is I, I like it because it's, it's sort of like a grower's champagne in a similar way. Like, it's not, it's not the, it, it's never, never going to be labeled. Like, it's, it's not meant to be um, high class. It's just meant to be something that's good that you can drink. And so, for lunch, I was, pretty much every day I'm sitting down for lunch and having, having a, a bottle of that. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty easy to put back a bottle. <laughs> so, where are you brewing uh, your work? So, yeah, in, in terms of what that means, we don't have a brewery on site. Um, we do what's called a work contracting model. And I make most of my work, all the works as of yet, I've been brewing at, at Batch, um, which is around the corner from us. And um, I used to work for them as well. So they're really good friends of ours and just um, let, let, let us use their brew house. And yeah, so I'm looking at some other options to get some more work through. But at the moment, it's been Batch. And what's the plan for that? You stay there or, or other options until you, do you eventually want your own or are you happy to, to keep doing? I, I don't think we do. I don't really want a brew house. Um, there's a temptation to, to brew all the time. <laughs> um, no, it, it, for, for our model, it, it just didn't work financially um, to have both that huge capital investment, which is sexy and sits there and it's impressive for people to look at. But um, we wouldn't be able to afford that and, and brew on it so infrequently. Um, and make that financially work. Right now, that money's tied up and paying the rent while, while our beer ages, basically. Um, so, yeah, no, I think the, 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 the succession would be, I'd like to move that, to, I currently brew the wort as well, so I'd like to move away from that as well, so finding a person that I could actually just have it brewed by someone else and, sh and taken, brought to me, um, it would tie, up, tie me up less. But and in, in in larger batches, so that that's sort of the the next step that we get to. So not me and larger batches, but um, the moment it's working well. And what does batch look like with their capacity to let you um, do what you need to do when you need to do it? I I brew third brew, so they basically do two turns on their brew house a day, and I'll come in at about three o'clock in the afternoon and go till about nine o'clock. But because I'm not using uh, for fermentation space. Um, it's very easy to sure. do. So I can just um, come in, make my work and leave. And then, um, yeah, there's no, there's zero, zero footprint on them whatsoever. So yeah, yeah, it works out well. So the Gold and the Amber, your first releases are selling out pretty quickly, I understand? Yeah, that was unexpected. Um, yeah, they did. Um, it was really, really nice. I um, don't know. What to say about it? it did yeah I mean it was it was nice there's a few places I've seen them still around um, they just popped up at Hobart actually as well at Franklin restaurant which is good um, and but yeah people there's been a really really good reception which is really nice because I've been 
you know, Chris and I is my business partner. We, we've been thinking about this and talking about this for a long time. And it can certainly feel like you're in a vacuum, you know, especially when we're talking about something that's a bit esoteric as these, as these beers. Um, so the fact that people were really, really interested and, and put their money where their interest was, was, was really um, humbling, really. So, yeah, they sold out. Um, but we, we actually, no, we saw some online, so some Amber. Um, but, yeah, little bits here and there. So, like, what sort of expectation did you have putting beer to market? That's a good question. I don't know. I didn't know what to expect, I don't think. I was really nervous. Um, uh, being a, we're working at Batch, I produced a number of beers and sold them to market, all good. But um, this was a lot more personal. So I was looking at the cages, like, so I have these bottle condition, the beers on their side um, in, these, in these metal cages. And I was looking at them a few, like about a week before the release. And I was thinking to myself, like, oh my gosh, there's so much beer here. Like, what am I going to do with all this? Like, where is it going to go? Who are the consumers that are actually going to be buying that? So, I mean, the expectation was and still is um, a lot of anxiety. <laughs> that's not really an expectation, but that's, that's what it is. I, I don't know. I, I sort of feel like maybe I'm, I'm not a parent, um, but... Like, is that what's like when you, you send your kids to school or something like that? I don't know. You know, you're like, have I done the right thing? And I'm so anxious about what people might think of me if that reflects poorly on the... Anyway. Um, so, no, it's, it's been really nice to, to have, that, have that reception. However, it's not, it's not w the model that I, that I want to, to go forward. It's, it's a bad problem to have, really. I mean, it's a good problem, but it's not one that I'm envious of. Um, the, the not having beer, people are calling and, and they, they would like to try it and I'd like to give them something, but I can't. Um, so what we're doing right now is, is only packaging about 30 to 40% of everything that we make um, and at about a six month delay. So some of the beers that, that are sorry, four month delay. Some of the beers that went in at first blend were four months old and I've still continued to brew this whole time. So we're building stock, building stock, so that once our seller gets to a good age, we can, we can blend the same amount as we bring in and still maintain a consistent product, um, but have more volume so that people, places like Sunmoth, you know, could, could have it. We, we don't, we don't, we, you know, we couldn't sell to them right now, but I love this venue, so I'd love it for it to be here, so, yeah. Have people more local to you uh, had a sense of what was coming? Because from like, my perspective and probably a lot of people around Melbourne, the first that I knew about Wildflower was people were commenting on it and taking photos and going, holy shit, this is fantastic. Get your hands on it. Sort of came out of nowhere. Did other people more locally have more of a sense of what was coming? I mean, I guess you'd have to ask them. <laughs> but maybe, I, mean, I guess so, yes, because, because there was, um, the majority of the stock was sold in New South Wales, was sold in Sydney alone. So, um, yeah, we, we so when I left Batch, it was to start Wildflower. And so, you know, it's a small community of brewers and I knew a lot of people and you just, people were just interested over what are you doing next? They knew this is what I was interested in. So it must have probably spread from there. Uh, about a month before we did the release, I started putting things up on social media um, and, and talking about it. Um, a, a lot of what I do is in terms of my... Um, content would be sort of educational so people really really liked that um reading about the process and things like that so yeah i mean they must have known about it <laughs> but uh yeah well that's that's interesting see because it's yeah i've written a vacuum i thought of you know putting all these things out and then you're just seeing it 
it now. I think that will happen for a long time coming, but yeah. Anyway. That's really good. So you did tons of research, uh, sort of in the lead up to this, brewing with other people, traveling the world. Can you sort of tell us about the journey that when you first had the idea from Wildflower to, to now, basically? Wildflower is, is a bit of a younger idea than a, a larger idea that I did have before. And what, what I was working on before was a, it was a different brewery in a regional area. Um, and that was why I was traveling. That was what I was focused on. So in terms of Wildflower specifically, it's a bit younger. However, they're both very closely related. Just wanted to, just wanted to make that clarification quickly. The, um, the travel and what I had in mind the whole time. So I, about a number of years ago, I fell in love with this idea of native yeast, of using organisms that are in your own backyard to, to make something that, that you consume. Um, sort of closing that gap a little bit, a little bit small, a little bit more. I have a friend who opened a brewery in Seattle and we were talking about doing like a, like a collaboration beer and it sort of dawned on me that we have access to basically the exact same everything. And that kind of didn't, didn't jive very, very well with me, didn't sit well with me. So started looking into brewers, breweries and um, styles of beer that use more um, ingredients from their local area. And it didn't hurt that I love things like Saison DuPont and my wife also loves those styles of beer and that's what she would drink rather than big IPAs. So I started this process of looking looking into those um, types of breweries and that type of brewing. So yeah, when, when I sort of fell down the rabbit hole when visiting Jester King for the first time a number of years ago and meeting the people there and seeing their process and them talking about their yeast and how they integrate their land or their sense of place into their beer. Um, I'm for originally from Texas, so I kept going um, a number of times and spent time with their working with them in, in the end for, for a little bit like sort of just like an internship sort of thing. Um, and yeah, I, it's just sort of through there, there's all these people. I, I wish there was like a linear process as to how I could, you know, step by step say this happened and then this happened and this happened. But it's one of these things that I just was very, very interested in and then you know, it found myself showing up at different breweries around the world saying, hey, can I help out for a few days? Or, you know, being putting in touch with them and going in and sitting down and chatting over a meal about different fermentations. So um, that's a really, really horrible answer to your question. <laughs> I think because it was a good it, because one. Because, yeah. it, because it gives no real direction. Like, it, yeah, sorry. I, I'd, um, so where did you go other than Jester King? That's a good question. That's so. Yeah. so um, Tiria, which was really the first one. Um, so, and people, a lot of people in Australia wouldn't know Tiria at all, like because they. I don't think we get their beers. If we do, occasionally, grey market. I think. No, there was a there was an importer. Was um, he stopped? He I think he brought over like two pallets, and that's it. But um, Brasserie Tiria is a little brewery in Esquelbec, France. So we're, we're in what's called the French Flanders, um, very very close to Vesleatheren, or you know where Distorisa is, or, or Westy 12, um, just across the border. And it's a small brewery run by Daniel Thiriez and, and his wife, um, Marielle. And they started making what I would call to be, well, I mean, they started making Saison um, about the 1980s. So a relatively young brewery in terms of um, Belgium and France. However, um, they they were the ones that started using a specific strain of yeast called what homebrewers would know as Y yeast 3711 or people call French Saison yeast. It's a really clean, um, very, very dry, um, 
light peppery um, yeast characteristic, and it brings out hops really well. And so they started using this this strain of yeast, and they started making incredible, clean, simple beers. Um, and that yeast specifically, in in my opinion, has brought about what what we now lo- know of today is the love of saison in in specifically the states. Um, so they're a very very influential brewery. They they, they make you know um, a hoppy saison and some other sort of beers. They're not called that, um, but. Uh, they, um, yeah, very small, but very, very influential. I, I, anyway, yeah, so anyway, beautiful, beautiful little place. Certainly worth visiting. Pretty much a farmhouse brewery in the sense that it's small, isolated, right? It's, it's in a town. It's a small town. Um, and it's a little schoolhouse. I would certainly call it farmhouse, 100%, um, even though he may, focuses on clean beer. Like, there's not, there's not a whole lot of wild inoculation in his, in his um, brewery. But, yeah, it's, it's what you... It's idyllic. You know, the tasting room is quite small. It's, it's in this um, old-school house. The brewery's just in their backyard. So um, when I was there, like, we'd go in for lunch with Daniel Mariel. Mariel would have made this amazing spread and cheese and everything. And we'd, we'd sit down and drink the beer that we were brewing that day. Well, first, we'd have a table beer. Like, like we're having the three percent table beer, and then we'd also drink the beer that we were brewing that day as a as a sense of like, okay, should I change anything in the boil? But the boil's happening like just through the window, and you could just see it. As so we're sitting there having an hour long lunch, F- from there, I really took mostly the um, the sense of balance, like in terms of having a having a brewery business that you're also at home um, producing something to 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 pay for a, a family. Anyway, so Thierry, I spent time there. I spent time at Partisan in London, who at that time was making um, some really, really cool, interesting um, herb, lemon, sort of zesty saisons. They still do make great stuff. Um, I spent some time... Those were the three I really would have been brewing at and then visited a whole slew of people. So um, Blogy, Oberon, um, Dupont, um, Dodole. I mean, everyone in that sort of swell through Wallonia and then around the world. I mean, you know what it's like when you're traveling and you have an interest, you just end up doing that, you know, find myself in a new a new city or a new country and be like, oh, where's the nearest brewery or where's the nearest craft beer bar or something like that. So yeah, I'd, lots of different places. Any standouts along the, the Belgian? Belgian Oberon for sure. Um, so they're actually in Northern France, but right on the border, um, A-U-B-A-R-O-N, they make a beer called Cuvée de Jonquier. It's a sort of seven-ish percent. Um, they call it a beer de garde, blonde beer de garde. Um, I, we would probably recognize it as a, if you call it a saison. Um, but again, a very, very clean yeast, all, all clean fermentation, um, and just one of the most precise beers I've ever had. It's just um, exact and beautiful and delicate and fluffy. And it's, it's, yeah, that, that would be a, certainly a standout. And one, if you go to the States, they're imported by Shelton Brothers. Um, and so that you can get it here and there, but um, not here yet in, in Australia. It's still quite small. So now you've had your, your first release. How do you see Wildflower taking shape over the next few years? Have you even thought that far ahead yet? I have. Of course I have. I mean, well, in terms of the... You have with the, the business planning, you think, okay, you know, we need to pay our bills and things like that. But um, I won't lie, this, the, working with Wild Yeast is... Um, more even wild than I thought it was. 
So you, you, you sort of put your plans down and then it looks back at you and goes, it just laughs at you in the face and says, there's no way that's going to happen. Um, so the next few years, what I'm hoping to do is, is just continue building up stock, keep having, keep putting more and more beer into barrel, keep experimenting with the, with the, the culture, figuring out what kind of worts it likes, what kind of um, hopping rate it likes, whether, it, whether I should inoculate with the mother culture straight or that's a skipping um when to when when to blend back in old barrels to the to the new wort in order to teach it how to be timing stuff fermentation stuff it's going to be a long process because this blend of yeast is is not only ever evolving because it, there's drift amongst the culture um but also uh there's no um documentation as to how to work with it with this blend of yeast that's just what i'll be doing so the next few years after the first release, it's going to be small. I mean, it, again, that's not by design, it's by necessity. Um, we, I, ju I just physically can't put out a whole lot of beer. It would, it would, it would stretch us too far um, in order to be making that much beer and then possibly stuffing it up and dumping out more and more beer that we don't need to produce. Um, so in the meantime, we're making smaller amounts, you know, like... It's three thousand liters a month, basically. So not not inc not inconsequential, but smaller amounts for us, still that we can test with and and learn from the culture. So when I do have a process that I can, um, in in a sense, maybe repeat, like get similar results, um, then then we could scale up and and, and you know start making more beer. Um, so I think, I mean, loosely speaking, I think this this next year while we're really really building stock, um, I, I'd expect to do. Uh, a blend a month of, of each beer, um, and those would be small blends, maybe like two or three max barrels of each. Um, so that would be about 600 bottles of each a month, which is just not a lot of beer to go around. Um, so yeah, yeah, about that. So and, and, and again, not by incentive, but not by design. It just I need to give the beer the time in the barrel in order to get the flavors that I want to get. So I would say that's the that's Right now, that's what it's looking like um, for the next year. In terms of documenting your yeast or how it changes, as you said, it hasn't really been done for you know your region or Australia at all. Are you going to be keeping sort of notes or, or doing lab testing, or how are you going to do that? So I certainly do lab testing. Or sorry, like notes. <laughs> I don't have a lab uh, at all. Um, it's a good question. In there's a lot of different things that you could. Um, look at you could look at um, you know how its titratable acidity changes over time. You could look at um, how quickly it, it's dropping you know fermentation like how, extract or whatever. Now I, I just taste the barrels a lot, and about every day before I go home, I'll just pick out two or three and have a look at them, and look at the what what blend it or what what base beer it was when it went into barrel if it's been topped up or not, things like that, that I've notes on the side of the barrel as well as a big spreadsheet with all of the barrels in there. Um, so I'll taste a few every day before I go home and it just gives me like a mental keeping track. I have written blending notes from the blending sessions themselves about what usually just what off flavors they're, they're like what's not good about the barrels. And I can then look in another month when I do my next blending session to say, okay, has that moved past um, or anything like that. Also, I take samples of the barrels every month and do a few measurements on, on every single barrel and, and have a look at it. There has been a um, there's been some interest from university to to look at the culture and, and look at physically what um, microorganisms are in there and in what populations and if there's any new ones to see if there's anything from 
like r- truly indigenous to, to Australia that hasn't been on the genome before. Actually, on, on, the, on the Saccharomyces cerevisiae genome, there's no yeast that's uh, commercial yeast that is, that is known to be from Australia. So you can't buy any lab yeast that um, was found here. So there's an interest to get something on there. So, so I mean, there, there's absolutely things that are indigenous to, the, to, the cult, to, the, to New South Wales in my culture. It's just whether or not they can spend that time isolating and DNA, you know, um, analyzing and all that kind of stuff. So there's that side, but that having those tests done won't influence how I use the culture. I don't think, um, for me, I built the culture entirely off sensory. So it was, if the beer tasted good that, that, you know, the wattle, the wattle flowers made, then I would, uh, use that culture again. And that's the same thing I do with the barrels basically is, the barrel is good. That could be used as an next inoculant for for another fermentation, or you know, taking out half of the barrel and putting it in half of another barrel that's uh, not not behaving as well, and trying to use the the good inoculation to teach the other one how to be. And so through that process, and that's what I keep kind of more document is where I'd be getting to a stage where that culture is something where I want it to be. Yeah, I don't have the resources, as it were, to, to look into, or the, the, the technical know-how to, to look into um, specific populations of things and stuff like that, but yeah. Would you ever want to, if the, or are you happy just tasting and, and letting it do its thing? I'm a bit of a fly by the seat of my pants kind of guy. Um, I mean, if these guys, if the, the, this university comes back, I mean, they're, they're already looking at it, um, it'd be interesting. But you're not going to see on my label made with 37 strains of of Saccharomyces and ultimately it doesn't matter in no. terms of if your beer is tasting good. Exactly. You've brewed like you brewed with Batch most recently, and, mm-hmm. and you brewed sort of the any IPA, the juicy as juicy as fuck. Are you concerned, or, or I guess going down the, the path of brewing sort of yeast forward and and tart and, and wild beers? versus, you know, kind of shutting yourself away from something hoppy is... Like, are you... At some point you go, man, I just want to brew an IPA. I've already had that temptation. <laughs> um, not just when I be like, oh, man, I really want to do another double IPA. Yeah, yeah. Put it in cans. You know, I see these guys queuing up at Monkish, and I'm like, that's genius. Like, <laughs> these people are, you know. Um, but it's... I mean, I don't have access to the hops that I need, first of all, or the breweries. Yeah, there's definitely temptation. I mean, I I don't um, I, I do really really love hops, but I think I'm falling more and more in love with this at the same time. Like I think the the longer I do this, probably the less that urge will be. It's it's the same urge. Um, it's a similar urge to having uh, a, a large product line to go. Oh, I want to make another beer. You know, or one barrel is tasting really, really good on its own. So, okay, I'll release a single barrel release. That temptation is already here. Or, you know, the temptation to go, oh, it, I could, you know, start having more, more labels, basically, because you could arguably sell more beer. It could be more interesting for a consumer. However, the restraint that I have with my yeast being the only yeast that I use and also only having three beers is, is making me focus on this more and attempts to make it better. So... Yeah, I I think there's a bit of a you can you can't be a master of everything. Just try to I'm just trying to do one thing right. You know, there's a lot of variability in the barrels, so I try to make the blends somewhat consistent to each other, and and let that be where the variability is, rather than 15 different worts and and f- lots of fruit and everything like that. Um, 
Yeah, that's actually Chris and I were just talking about that today. Like uh, about, I see some of that as as a little short sighted. The the that urge, the reaction on the urge, um, and I look to winemaking a lot for their sort of they have succession plans for their wineries when their kids aren't even born yet. You know, they're thinking harvest and harvest away, not okay. Let's just get this next release out next month. So. Maybe it's that, yeah, a bit like that. But yeah, I do miss, I, luckily I'm in Merrickville and there's a lot of great breweries around so I can just go get, you know, Grifter's Big Sur IPA and swap my bottle for that or, or go down to Batch and go drink the West Coast, you know, so. And you, you spent time sort of working with winemakers as well in the, in the lead up? I have, yeah, working with more like annoying them. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think, yeah, I've, in, in order to, we need a lot of barrels for the brewery, and so I ended up meeting a lot of winemakers. And um, yeah, I spent a lot of time in Orange. Generally, I spend time in Orange, New South Wales. is a great, cool climate, wine region. They make they make really sort of Burgundian styles, and they winemakers know how to work with barrels. They have different equipment. Physically, the the spaces are set out differently than than, than breweries do, and that was really what was most interesting to me. Without having a brew house, I, my process is similar to a winery that doesn't grow their own fruit. So, you know, the, the product comes in and they need fermentation space and they need space to clean the barrels. So that was what I spent a lot of time. That was what I was targeting. Like that was what I wanted to get from those winemakers was, okay, who are your suppliers for, for this and that? Um, what What is the physical pump that you use and how is that more gentle or something like this? Uh, however, I felt like really, really hardcore in love with wine and winemaking itself. There were certainly a few days where I was like, you, you know, you're sitting there at a winery looking out over beautiful grapes and then you drive back into the city and the smog and all of the, the factory sounds. I'm like, why am I not winemaking? Like, that makes so much more sense. It's really nice. So I have a temptation there, but no, no it's, I, won't, I won't act on that. But yeah, I spent a lot of time with them. And, and yeah, I, I'm, winemakers are fascinating people. I still haven't met someone that I haven't been able to really, really get along with. Um, really, really cool. Yeah. It's interesting because wine and beer, it's almost been portrayed by both industries as foes in some ways um, even down to you know wine versus beer dinners and jokey but still competitive where there are so much that both can, can take away from each other and as you said they set things up differently did you take anything away that you then applied to Wildflower? Fermentation profile 100% I mean we've taken, I've taken a lot of things away from the, the wine industry but I think one of the ones that I didn't go in thinking I would learn from uh, was was the the t- talking about long slow arduous fermentations that maybe you know maybe all the sugar is gone but the fermentation is 100% not complete winemakers have you know malolactic fermentation going on uh, a year after harvest and that changes you know your your malic acid to, to lactic acid and those organisms that get that started can get kicked off in different ways they're naturally occurring but you can induce it as well anyway just talking about you know, looking at looking at a harvest time fermentation and thinking about what it's going to be in in two and a half, in, you know in two years that that foresight and that thought process on fermentation I took on a lot. The other thing that I've been borrowing is uh, is just blending in general. Every time I taste through barrels at someone's winery, will I'll, I'll just sit there quietly in the corner like and everyone's talking about them talking about all the 
morella cherries or whatever in there and I'm just soaking it all in. But at the moment, like a lot of times they go, okay, now this would be a nice element and a blend, this is a nice element. The whole, everything is focused on, in, 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 in the wineries that I was at, they're, they were focused in, on um, creating different things for a blend to put together so that you have a, a nice blend that's, that's all integrated and it's nice, nicely composed. So, you know, like thinking of a very, very easy example would be your toasting levels on a new barrel. So you might put a, put a Pinot in a new barrel with a specific toast that would be way too heavy handed uh, to put out on its own. Maybe the, maybe the judges would like it because judging is very much, wine judging very much like beer judging has this sort of bigger boulder gets more points. But if you want like a, a, a just a great drinking wine, um, some of these toasts would be too heavy to go on their own. It'd be too, too much tar and too, too much smoke. But as an element in a blend, that can bring a complexity to uh, what would be, yeah, we wouldn't have that before. We might just be this sort of one-dimensional wine. And so thinking about blending like that, instead of thinking about it as, oh, uh, you know, putting two not so great things together or try to make something that is better. That's, which is, I think some people do see blending as that. It's like, that, that was a huge, huge takeaway. And it's something that I think we, we do need to talk about more in the industry. Blending is, is not, like specifically blending, blending of barrels, like it's the same thing, this temptation with putting out a single barrel because it tastes really good. I'd rather put a really good barrel into a good blend and make a good blend. Um, I'd rather that be a nice element to it rather than it being, oh, this sits on its own. I mean, I think you can get more. When you blend well, it's, it's greater than the sum of the parts. So those two things I think are really what have taken away the most, yeah. Can you tell me about your, your logo and labels? Because they're, I guess, probably more refined than a lot of beer labels. The logo's definitely kind of, you know, it's embossed on the, on the label. Yeah. We worked with a... Um, this original brewery concept idea was regional and worked with a, uh, a letterpress um, designer in Thoreau, New South Wales, um, so just, uh, just south of Sydney, um, to design the stuff for that, for that initial concept. And when that sort of fell through with council things and whatnot, um, he's, we asked him if he wanted to start working on Wildflower. And his name is Mitch Crowell. He runs what's called Matter, Matter Studio. He took it and run, ran. I mean, I just... I, I just trust him wholeheartedly and that's what he said we wanted he wanted to do um so there was there was definitely in, in the name the name itself wildfire is is indicative of of you know the, the the wild yeast like where we're actually getting that um and it being you know from flowers and things like that but also it's uh it's a my own sort of small commentary or my small move away from a sense of masculinity in the beer world um I always think about Alesmith when I think about this, like an anvil and a hammer. Like it's just so like fire and brimstone sort of um, masculine. And, and I, I wanted our brand to be a little more androgynous, just, just not necessarily feminine, but not so masculine uh, somewhere in the meantime. And that's, that's was kind of the brief and he um, took it and ran. So the labels, the little, the little logo is two of the W's kind of smashed together and it's nice and clean and precise. And then the labels... Um, I really liked the labels of this one winery and so I went to the same place where they got those printed and they did a really, really good job with the foiling and, and yeah, the I, the, the, I wanted the beer to be at, at home on a table um, and so if you're going to be sitting around at a table drinking something for a few hours I didn't want it to be um, ugly 
So if it's if it's aesthetically pleasing, that's great. Um, if people really really care about that, I hope that it, it meets their spec their their um, just like what what they would like. Um, however, it is also at the same time meant to be a little just a little subdued so that it doesn't take the place. It's not jumping up and down um, trying to say look at me look at me I, this sort of other reason I stick to three beers and call them simple names is because I I love beers place as a very simple drink um, and so if we're trying to, to overhype it or we're talking too much about the beer and not to the people that we're s surrounded by about how they're going or whatever I think we've missed the point. So yeah, just wanted to make it kind of simple. But yeah, no, I, it, it's it was certainly a difference when it, when he showed me them. I was like, okay, well, we've just created a wine label, and and he was like, no, 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 we're talking about it. But um, no, they're, they're I, I I absolutely love them. Putting them on the label, though the the bottles feels really nice. So and I think it's a nice presentation of of you know. It'll make it more of an attractive option for restaurants as well, where that probably the beers are probably suit given uh, their flavor profiles. Um, you've mentioned the three beers you've done a little bit so far. Can you take us through the other two? So the other two, Golden Amber, are sort of what I would consider to be the more the focus of the of the brewery. So these two beers, the Gold is a five percent slightly hoppier wort, and the Amber is six percent slightly maltier wort. All the grains come from New South Wales, and they're treated the same way once they leave the brewery. Once they once the wort is made, they're treated the same way. They spend five or six days in a wide, shallow, converted milk vat as a, as a fermentation tank. Not having hydrostatic pressure, so not having tall cylindroconical fermenters helps the yeast produce new esters. So um, these yeasts are very, very pressure dependent. So the more you, the, the taller you are, the, the cleaner the, ends up, the beer ends up being in terms of a fermentation characteristic. A lot of people talk about DuPont and their square fermenters for that kind of reason. I wouldn't say the square is actually why it's it, it, the why you get that flavor. It's because they're, they're not as tall as, as you would assume. So that's why we use that tank. And then um, once it goes through primary, uh, and it, sorry, it's, it's fermented in primary with, a, with my mixed culture, but I call it my clean mixed culture because it was, it was all the bugs in that, in that um, Saison strain together. And then I continue to ferment with that every single time. So I put that in, ferments, and I collect it out. Put it in the next beer, ferments, collects it out. By going through successive fermentations, that yeast ends up becoming cleaner. So it doesn't give the chance for, for, for Brett, really, or as much PDO to grow because it doesn't have time. I'm collecting and I'm taking it off of the wort before it gets a chance to. Saccharomyces of all types, um, and there's a lot, a lot of wild Saccharomyces in, in the, the culture, will consume the, the simplest sugars first. And then by consuming, they also go through growth. So my clean mix culture which is everything sees first, and it's the workhorse. I mean, that's what make, does most of the, the, the sugar fermentation as well. So once that's finished, which is on four or five days, um, at you know anywhere, the amber ferments at about 25, so it's quite cool for me. And then the, the gold basically is unjacketed. It just, just rips up to like 35 degrees. And once it goes through that, then I will blend in a barrel uh, of what I call my mother culture, which is the, let's say, the, the, the dirty mother culture, the, the dirty mixed culture. And that, um, that mixed culture is started out in the exact same place as that first clean culture. But instead of, uh, instead of collecting and reusing that every single time, the mother culture uh, is a different wort 
Um, I, I've brewed a different wort, which is a much tougher wort. So like really long chain sugars. So mashed at a really hot, high pH, gave it a very, very low bitterness level. And then I blended back in and I continue to blend back in barrels that are tasting really good. Some more funky barrels to that mother wort. And then that goes to barrel. Okay, so this is a bit complicated. The mother, the mother wort that gets fermented with the, the sort of dirty mixed culture spends about a month in barrel. And at about that time, it, it should be looking, it should be ready to become an inoculant. So when I go to the gold or the amber, after it finishes its primary fermentation, I blend in one of these mature barrels of the, the mother. And that then inoculates the whole batch of, of gold or amber, as it were, before it goes to barrel with a more robust, funky culture. And by doing that, I can kind of control the, the, the level. So I can, I can inoculate more, I can inoculate less for, for, for different, different batches of beer in order to get different things. Once I blend in the mother culture, then the gold and the amber goes to barrel and it'll sit there for, for however long until it, until it gets blended. And that, that process is basically, uh, once it goes to barrel, let's say it's been sitting there for about a month. Well, when I sit down and do the, the, the blending or when I'm taking all of the, the readings, I'll look at all of the barrels and for a blend, I'll just put two barrels together that are tasting really good. Generally, I mean, they've always been and they probably always will be different ages, young and old. And this is what the, the idea, this is why I blend is because I want that complexity of some young beer and the, the, the sort of barrel character of, of an older beer. So the gold and the amber could spend, um, I mean, I'm, I'm quite interested in the future to get into more fresher blends, like putting, putting younger beer in with even older beer. At the moment with the age of the cellar, we don't have a huge amount of old stock to carry through like a really, really fresh, but that's something I do want to look into in the future. But um, so the, the, yeah, the, the gold and the amber will spend maybe yeah, probably two or three months minimum. Well, yeah, about, about there. I mean, I, some, I've blended a beer that was like uh, about six weeks in barrel. Yeah. So there's not really a time stamp on it. And I think that's more because I'm not trying to make sour beers or, um, you know, if I really wanted a, a tart, brewery like a like like the rare barrel or something like that i wouldn't be releasing any beer for a long time um but that's not my focus where the gold and the amber are are basically what is borrowed from a tradition called beer de coupage which is which is cutting in french and it's when you cut old stock with new stock in order to get your 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 volume package out so if you you blended beer so you brewed beer and it went sour, then you could put that in with some new beer and still sell it. It was kind of a utility thing rather than a desire. However, there's a brewery in um, the Jura called BFM and they make a beer called Square 225. It was their anniversary saison. And that, that's what I'm chasing, basically. I mean, it's, 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 it's got the aromatics of, of a fresh DuPont when you open it, but the body has got this great length and acidity. And, and that, that's a beer de coupage. So they... They, um, they rack some of the fresh beer into barrel and then some of it gets blended with the beer that came out, that came out of the barrel and that's they made it. I mean, that's... I had that beer the first time and I was like, whoa, this is unlike anything. Yeah, it's the kind of beer that I would always be happy to have in my fridge. Have you tried it? Never. Unfortunately, yeah, it doesn't come to Australia. They do because it started off as a one-off and then they, I think they, now they brew it regularly. Yeah, it's really good. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, I, I don't think... Uh, it will take me years to figure out how to do that. Part of the fun, though. The Absolutely. Get there. Yeah. yeah. Now, you're documenting your journey on the 
the website as well, um, sort of being quite open about that. So are we going to anticipate sort of next steps, sort of regular updates on the, the website? Yeah, I think uh, I, I have learned a lot from a lot of the breweries that are, um, that are making mixed culture beers, not only from their own websites, but also from them. And I feel like I need to sort of do the same. I'm happy to document and, and um, I'm happy to document the failures as well as the successes. But um, yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to try to basically every month have a focus on some new or different element of, this, of the, the process um, to, um, to focus on. So whether it's fermentation, um, bottle conditioning or cleaning barrels or something like that, that's really, really random. It's good for me as well to document because I'm sure I'll look back at it in 10 or 15 years and go, yeah, that's why I had all those problems, you know? Like, I was, I was stuffing it up. I, wrote, I, even, I even wrote down how dumb I was, you know? Like, um, but it's, yeah, I think people are genuinely interested, and I think one of the things that I, that I have noticed so far is that there's, there's a huge number, there's a lot of misunderstanding in the, in the industry when it comes to nomenclature and when it comes to how these beers are made because there's, there's so many different ways to, to, to make a mixed culture beer. But there's so much interest as well, and so I'd love to be able to educate people at the same time as as you know as I'm being educated with it as well. I feel like I'm learning so much from this this culture every day. So someone else can learn from it, and if someone else wants to go through the same process and 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 explore their own regionality, um, absolutely, I'd love to help them do that. Yeah, I've already seen a home brewer culturing up your yeast oh, wow. um, on a Facebook group. They're like, what are these wildflower Gee, beers? Quick activity, eh? yeah, yeah. What are these wildflower wow. beers? And you know, do you think we can get live yeast? And someone's like, yeah, probably. And then absolutely, a couple of, like, I think a day later, they had a, you know, beaker, whatever mm-hmm. it is called, and had Early cultured yeast. Yeah, yeah, really, yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, go for it. So your your yeast is already, I guess, out there, and it's probably going to be used in a homebrew within the next week. Great, I'd love yeah. to try it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll um, I'll see if I can make the connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Idea. No, I, I, it was a big reason for not bottle conditioning with champagne yeast. A lot of producers do that, which is it's great. It gives you a really, really sort of clean carbonation. But uh, I've, I've loved using bottle dregs in previous homebrew, and it's a lot of fun. You can kind of play with it on yourself, you know, on your own scale. So I was like, yeah, why not? Um, so yeah, we, we, we bottle condition with the same yeast that... Uh, the same mixed culture. So you could absolutely do that successfully. Well, it it yeah. seems to culture pretty quickly by the looks of the, <laughs> the photos. So. Especially on those ones, yeah. I mean, it, those, I think a lot, of the, a lot of the, it's funny, it's the same what happened in the States when you're getting it from a brewery. If you think about a lot of the imports that people are culturing yeast off of, specifically in Australia, it's pretty old beer. Um, and the yeast that has been in that for the bottle conditioning has gone through some tough conditions. Not only age and carbonation and acidity, but also like crossing the equator generally. Um, and so those cultures, bottle drag, har- harvesting from bottle drags uh, in Australia is just innately h- harder than it is elsewhere in the world. So I'm, I wouldn't, I'm not surprised that it's kicked off quickly because it's still, it's still pretty fresh, you know. Any more questions, Dave? Don't think so. Anything you want to add before we uh, wrap up? No. Um, are you uh, happy, are you happy pl- with how the beers have turned out in the reception? I'm ha- yeah, I am. I'm happy with how they're turning out right now. The first blend, we'll we'll see. I mean, this is, things can always change. <laughs> like, but yeah, absolutely happy with the reception. It's it's really been overwhelming, and and I, I yeah, I'm, I'm, it's it's very very nice to know that I'm not operating in this this own silo. So you know, I think 
thank everyone for their interest in it and like thank you guys for sitting down and wanting to talk about it. I apologize if I was a bit all over the place. There's so many things I was thinking about wanting to say. Um, You're going to leave and go, damn it, I, sh- I was going to mention that and that and that. Yeah, well, I wanted to talk about this wine that I brought too. Um, but anyway, we'll just have to drink that off air. That all right, that, yeah. sounds, that sounds good. <laughs> all right, let's wrap this up. Sure. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, how do people bit. keep in, uh, in touch with Wildflower and the... Uh, website for blog posts yeah, and that sort of stuff we're wildflower beer across the board um, so Facebook Instagram Twitter um, and if you want to keep more in touch with me I have my own Instagram just Topher Bame just straight and I'll probably put up more sort of small updates like things that I'm working on at the brewery just around around the traps on that um, and then ironically on Instagram on, on Twitter I'm farmhouse beer Although I'm in the middle of a city, so I don't make farmhouse beer. So that's it's a bit of irony. Um, but yeah, the, yeah, across the board, and specifically the blog, and we'll be putting up blog posts more and more. That's going to be probably the best way to, to know about what we're doing, and we'll be really forthcoming about about where our beer is going to be, when it's coming out. Hopefully, when our buddy tap room fire, or we don't have any taps, when our cellar door opens, um, that'll all be on the any of those channels. I think a lot of people have followed that um, blog pretty closely because it seems like a lot of good information out there. What's the ETA for your salad door? Do you know yet or it's still up in the air? I'm looking to my business partner because he's the, the, the paper guy. <laughs> Four to six weeks, yeah. you said. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> Thanks so much for your time. Uh, really appreciate it. And, yeah, that was great. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, looking, looking forward to, to Thank you seeing so what else happens. Yeah. And uh, I really enjoyed both the beers. Emma said the Amber was her beer of the year and she isn't prone to going off like that. So... Yeah. Uh, Oh, yeah. Oh, great. Hey, have you tried them yet? Never. Yeah. I'm looking forward oh, to it. Oh, I should have brought some. Sorry. Oh, yeah. that's okay. Apologies. I can source them. Yeah. Next time. Find us Isle of a Time everywhere on the yep. internet. Mel Day for me. Send us an email. You know, you know the drill yeah, by you know now. Yeah, the drill. Send us some news. Yep. Go on. I All dare right. you. <laughs> Cheers, everyone. See you later. <laughs>